Welcome to the Anxious Poets mini poemcast. I'm Adrian Scott. I am the Anxious Poet. William Blake said, There is a moment in each day that Satan cannot find. A moment of reverie that contains a luminous silence. I hope this poemcast is such a moment for you today. Stations around Grasmere. Our minds are nourished and invisibly repaired. The Prelude, William Wordsworth. Walk around the lake, feeling the blast of the lorries as they rush past. It takes about a mile to escape their barrelling progress. Then you bear right into the trees to the head of the lake. Stand and look back towards the town, the gentleness of the warm day making the view shimmer, softening the hardness of the stare that has creased your mind. In the distance the lion and the lamb are lying down in the heat, and the dog beside you is panting and licking at the water's edge. The fluid and solid elements of your life, softly speaking, in this moment of disclosure. As you continue around the edge of the lake, the tree line favours the shore and the path curves through it, showing the way your view is often impeded, asking you to gaze inward through mossy trunks and tender saplings. Gates and a steep path lead you back up to the road and you lose the easy views of the lake as you are displaced by so many travelling in the opposite direction. Hug the mossy walls and try to keep out of the way as the cars full of tourists sweep past you. Calm the dog and make sure his leash is short. Own that constriction is part of your walk. Re-enter the town you left a couple of hours ago and try to preserve that settling sensation coming off the water and down from Helm Crag. Go to the poet's grave in the churchyard, the joined lives of brother and sister, creating spots of time that echo in these lakes and fells. Stand with your hand in someone's who has trudged with you and feel the hot breath of a walked dog. Relish that you too have breathed with the mere and the crag. It is the gift of this landscape, the long-walked romantic intuitions and your faith in water and stone that replenishes and somehow mends. Walk around the lake, feeling the blast of the lorries as they rush past. It takes about a mile to escape their barrelling progress. Then you bear right into the trees to the head of the lake. 
stand and look back towards the town, the gentleness of the warm day making the view shimmer, softening the hardness of the stare that has creased your mind. In the distance the lion and the lamb are lying down in the heat and the dog beside you is panting and licking at the water's edge. The fluid and solid elements of your life softly speaking in this moment of disclosure. As you continue around the edge of the lake, the tree line favours the shore and the path curves through it. Showing the way, your view is often impeded, asking you to gaze inward through mossy trunks and tender saplings. Gates and a steep path lead you back up to the road and you lose the easy views of the lake as you are displaced by so many travelling in the opposite direction. Hug the mossy walls and try to keep out of the way as the cars full of tourists sweep past you. Calm the dog and make sure his leash is short. Own that constriction is part of your walk. Re-enter the town you left a couple of hours ago and try to preserve that settling sensation coming off the water and down from Helm Crag. Go to the poet's grave in the churchyard, the joined lives of brother and sister, creating spots of time that echo in these lakes and fells. Stand with your hand in someone's who has trudged with you and feel the hot breath of a walk dog. Relish that you too have breathed with the mere and the crag. It is the gift of this landscape, the long-walked romantic intuitions and your faith in water and stone that replenishes and somehow mends. I've just returned from the Lake District, helping with one of David White's Lakeland tours. He invites guests from all over the world to join him and us in the Lake District. They rock up at Manchester Airport and we put them in our minibuses that he hires and we drive to Coniston Water to a beautiful farm called Bankground Farm. And we have a week of walking and poetry, music, magic in the lakes. And that reminded me of this poem. And I'm sort of recording this, especially with the people who were on the tour in mind, with whom we shared this lovely week. And one of the days we went to Grasmere, which is the home of William Wordsworth. And we talk a lot on the tour about William Wordsworth, the great romantic poet, um, friend of Coleridge, brother of Dorothy, who was a co-creator of his work. And we, some of us went round the little cottage, Dove Cottage, that he lived in. And it's a favourite place of mine. And when I go to the lakes with my wife, we have a two or three day little raid on the Lake District 
We stay in this beautiful cottage called Three Springs Cottage on the other side of the Coniston Lake, Coniston Water. And um, we often do this walk. We either walk from Grasmere up to Easdale Tarn, about which I've written a poem, or we do this walk round the lake, which is easier. Sometimes we do it twice. And I wrote the poem just to record how beautiful the walk is and and more to the point what effect it has on me doing the walk I've called it stations around Grasmere to recall those moments those stations when you stop and you drink in the landscape and the silence and the sense of reverie that comes to you in places like that and at the head of the poem, I quoted Wordsworth's prelude, where he says, Our minds are nourished and invisibly repaired. Our minds are nourished and invisibly repaired. And the poem is a celebration of that. That I say that the, the, the gentleness of the warm day making the view shimmer, softening the hardness of the stare that has creased your mind. You know, when you crease something and you run your fingernail to make that hard crease in a piece of paper, that, that life can do that to you. Your, our mental health suffers and, and there's a crease in the mind that, that stands out and trips you up. And, and that doing a walk like this, it begins to soften that hard crease. In the distance, the lion and the lamb are lying down in the heat. That's the name of, uh, of two of the crags, the lion and the lamb. And, and I purposely am referencing that piece of scripture, the lion will lie down with the lamb. That, that there's this peace that comes to you um, and the, the dog is licking the water's edge that Arthur licks the water and I suddenly had this sense of the fluid and solid elements of my life speaking to one another the hardness of some of the things that have happened to me the, 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 the things that are, are pressing down on me if you like and then these fluid elements that are awakened by a landscape like that, that, that have that softening, soothing effect that uncrease things, that unravel some of the, the routines and rhythms that I've got into because of my anxiety or because of the hardness of life. And they create a moment of disclosure and you think, whoa, why, why am I living like this? When you go to a place like the Lake District, you, you sort of think, whoa, why am I so unappreciative of this beauty that is everywhere? But it's, it's uh, on the trip we were talking, it was as if someone got hold of a, of a chunk of Scotland, a great big bit of it, screwed it up into a smaller space, and then plonked it down in the middle of the Lake District, um, you know, between uh, Liverpool and, and Manchester, and thought, okay, a few lakes, a few crags, yep, 
that all looks good and it's in a nice small space so they can really appreciate it. Um, it's a concentration of beauty. Um, and it creates that disclosure, that sense of, whoa, how, how fast am I living? What's the pace that I'm going at? How do I slow down? How do I change my rhythm? As you continue around the edge of the lake, the tree line favours the shore and the path curves through it. You walk through the trees all of a sudden. You can't really see the lake, but it does have that sense of making you look inward, making you ask some questions of yourself, as David sometimes says, questions that have no right to go away, questions that you might be ignoring uh, about who you are or what you're doing or who you're with deep questions as you gaze inward through mossy trunks and tender saplings trying to give the idea that some of the things that are part of our inner architecture our inner forest are long set things that we have to learn to walk round and accommodate and appreciate and some are tender saplings that need maybe to have the forest cleared about them to make them grow and, and this kind of walk allows you to glimpse some of that inner topography. Gates in a steep path lead you back up to the road. You lose the easy, and you do, you, you go up this steep path and then suddenly you're in this, uh, on the road which is big stone walls, dry stone walls on either side and they're all mossy because they don't get much sun. And, and you, you, lots of people are coming the other way because people do the walk in both directions. And you suddenly feel like you're walking against the tide and that made me think about the times when I've walked in the opposite direction to other people and what the cost of that is. But sometimes it's the right thing to do. In fact, often it's the right thing to do. Hug the mossy walls. Try to keep out of the way as the cars are coming at you and there's you know you have to be really careful and, and with Arthur, you've got to keep him on a really short leaf, leash because he's daft and he doesn't realise that a car's far more dangerous than the other Yorkshire Terrier that's on the other side of the road that he's frightened of. Own that constriction is part of your walk. There are times when we are in what the Jewish Passover calls the Mitzrayim, the narrow place. You're in a place of constriction there is no immediate escape from and you have to own it and and get to know it and befriend it and gradually find your way out of it. That certainly happened to me with my anxiety. The Mitzrayim, the narrow place, had to be befriended. Re-enter the town you left a couple of hours ago. Try to preserve that settling sensation coming off the water and down from Helm Crag, one of the other crags. Try and preserve that sense of deep calm that comes from that landscape. And that's how I feel now, having just done the, the lake's trip. I bring home, hopefully, some of that, that deep calm. Go to the poet's grave in the churchyard. Dorothy and William are buried in Grasmere Churchyard. 
the joined lives of brother and sister, creating spots of time that echo in these lakes and fells. In one of his poems, he talks about spots of time being those luminous, numinous moments in our lives where there's a shift in us, where we come to some understanding, better understanding, deeper understanding of who we are, what we're doing here, how we should be living. What is our own voice? This is a piece that David reads to us on the tour, and it's where William Wordsworth finds in a spot of time that voice. Two miles I had to walk along the fields before I reached my home. Magnificent the morning was, a memorable pomp, more glorious than I ever had beheld. The sea was laughing at a distance. All the solid mountains were bright as clouds, grain-tinctured, drenched in empyrean light. And in the meadows and the lower grounds was all the sweetness of a common dawn. Dews, vapours and the melody of birds and labourers going forth into the fields. Ah, need I say, dear friend, that to the brim my heart was full. I made no vows, but vows were made for me. Bond unknown to me was given that I should be, else sinning greatly, a dedicated spirit. On I walked in blessedness, which even yet remains. That's his spot of time. He's walking back from a party that's been going on all night, back to Hawkshead, I think, and the dawn is coming up and he sees it and has one of those moments of disclosure that I mentioned in the Grasmere piece. Bond unknown to me was given that I should be else sinning greatly, a dedicated spirit. Vows were made for me. I made no vows, but vows were made for me. That's amazing that something can take place within you, that, that you don't feel a complete sense of agency over yourself, but that points you in your future direction or orientates you towards the people that you should be moving towards, the people you should be cherishing, the people who will cherish you. On the, um, on the tour, we had an evening in a pub in Grasmere where there was a couple who had recently met and fallen in love. And so there was uh, lots of questions about how did you meet the person that you're with now? And I've been married for 32 years. And I told the story of how Wilma and I met. Um, and and her declaration of, of love. Um, that, so 
I was training for the priesthood and was beginning to realize that maybe this was not my calling, not my voice. And we had met. Uh, I was reading Dr. Chivago at the time, um, and we had organized a ball for the end of my theology degree on the Thames, sailing up and down the Thames. And in the afternoon, I'd been on a march against student loans. That shows how long it was ago. And, and we got in a bit of bother and been charged by police horses. And it was all romantic to me. That was a spot of time for me. Um, and then we went, I bought a 50 pence tuxedo dinner suit in Oxfam and was wearing my dad's old patent shoes. And the entertainment on the boat turned out to be Wilma, my future wife. She was singing with a friend of hers. And we started to talk after she'd sung and we danced together a bit. And And I went away thinking, wow, it's great to be celibate and meet all these lovely people. She went away thinking not another celibate because she'd been at the same college as me and there were lots of people training for the priesthood. But we kept in contact and kept meeting. There was a bond unknown to us that we began to feel. And time went on. I, I went on a retreat, decided that I wasn't going to be a priest. And we kept meeting. And then there was a note in my pigeonhole one, one morning. And it was from Wilma at college saying... I need to talk to you. And I thought, oh, sugar, that's it. She's going to say this is going too quick because I was sensing there was a bond unknown to us happening. And so we met in a, I think it was called the Rose Cafe in Soho. And I sat down and she sat down and I could tell that there was something impending. And I thought it was, this has all gone too quick. Let's call it a day. What she actually said was, look, I think I'm falling in love with you. What do you think? And I said, <laughs> to my eternal shame, well, yeah, I think, yeah, love. What do you mean by love? <laughs> I'd been studying theology and philosophy and I was just like, oh, no. And um, she looked at me as if to say, that is what you want to answer? <laughs> really? That's what you're going to say to what I've just declared? And it, she talked with her friend and it was a massive knowing and now that was such a risk to take. So I was trying to claw back the words and say, yes, just yes. Yes, I feel the same way. Um, and that's... That was what we were talking about in the pub in Grasmere. Uh, and that was such a spot of time. And so the next stanza, stand with your hand in someone's who has trudged with you. That's Wilma for me. Who has trudged with you and feel the breath, the hot breath of a walk dog. Relish that you too have breathed with the mere and the crag. It is the gift of this landscape, the long-walked romantic intuitions, and your faith in water and stone, 
that replenishes and somehow mends. When we go into the natural world, into a beautiful place like the Lake District, and we allow that landscape to push us inward, to see the reflection of that landscape inside ourselves, the long-walked romantic intuitions, and our faith in water and stone, it does replenish. It's incredible. And mends. And I really like that word, mend. It's not a popular thing in our society at the moment. All our gadgets, our phones, our computers, they're not made to be mended. They're made to break, wear out and be replaced. Our clothes, we don't mend them. But my mum came from the generation from the war and she used to say, yeah, that was a phrase, that was a, 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 a jingle, a slogan, make do and mend. She would darn socks, mend shirt collars, replace buttons. You'd have your shoes mended, resold to make them last longer. You would mend things. And we have to mend ourselves. We can't just throw ourselves away and get a new one. We need to be mended. We need to have the visible sign that something was broken or worn or torn or fallen off and needs to be mended. We need to be mended. And you can see they're called scars. You can see where you've mended. And that's what our minds, William Wordsworth says, are nourished and invisibly repaired. Invisibly repaired. We don't notice it happening. Bond unknown is given to us. I made no vows, but vows were made for me. There's an incredible inner alchemy that takes place in these places that nourishes, repairs and somehow mends. Stations around Grasmere. Our minds are nourished and invisibly repaired. Wordsworth. Walk around the lake feeling the blast of the lorries as they rush past. It takes about a mile to escape their barrelling progress. Then you bear right into the trees to the head of the lake. Stand and look back towards the town, the gentleness of the warm day making the view shimmer, softening the hardness of the stare that has creased your mind. In the distance, the lion and the lamb are lying down in the heat and the dog beside you is panting and licking at the water's edge the fluid and solid elements of your life, softly speaking in this moment of disclosure. As you continue around the edge of the lake, the tree line favours the shore and the path curves through it, showing the way your view is often impeded, asking you to gaze inward through mossy trunks and tender saplings. 
gates and a steep path lead you back up to the road and you lose the easy views of the lake as you are displaced by so many travelling in the opposite direction. Hug the mossy walls and try to keep out of the way as the cars full of tourists sweep past you. Calm the dog and make sure his leash is short. Own that constriction is part of your walk. Re-enter the town you left a couple of hours ago and try to preserve that settling sensation coming off the water and down from Helm Crag. Go to the poet's grave in the churchyard, the joined lives of brother and sister, creating spots of time that echo in these lakes and fells. Stand with your hand in someone's who has trudged with you and feel the hot breath of a walk dog. Relish that you too have breathed with the mere and the crag. It is the gift of this landscape, the long-walked romantic intuitions and your faith in water and stone that replenishes and somehow mends.